Welcome to episode 12 of the Storyteller Series Nigeria, a series dedicated to sharing true stories of the Nigerian experience. This is episode 12 of season 1, and we plan to be back in 2019 with a bang. Like the title suggests, this is the final story from our live show, which featured stories around the theme, Journeys. Our first story is from Uche Eziogu about his journeys and misadventures. And our second story is from Miss Felicia Jackson, who shares an insightful story of her personal journey. I hope you enjoy it. Wonderful. Okay, I'll tell you my sad story. In my previous life, I used to be a banker. So, giving loans and buying stuff for people was my forty. And there was this very unique product we had in the bank then. I used to be a PHB in though. And so we had this very wonderful product we came up with where we could buy you cars, houses, and all that. And it was one very fast-selling product we had in the bank then. And in my branch, I was like the branch champion for that um, program. I was buying cars literally every week for people. So this day, I get a call. There's this commissioner that wanted to buy a Range Rover. And it was the biggest car I'd ever attempted to buy. So... I go to Kosharis, I do everything, he matches every criteria. And so I go to Kosharis to pick up the car. Usually we send drivers, but it's a Range Rover, man. So I wanted to drive. <laughs> so I told the driver to come with me. And then I called one of my friends, Solomon. The three of us will now go to Kosharis. Usually you go with a driver and another driver. I just went with one driver and my friend. I was like, Solo, you know what? We're driving this car. And then they, we signed the papers, everything. They hand the keys over to us. And I sit majestically and rose the car out of the garage. I'm on the road. Wonderful. Smooth ride. Oh, shit. The air conditioner, top notch. So I was just playing very loud music. And then I got to my one roundabout. Policemen were there. Yes, stop. Big car, no number. Small boy with suits. <laughs> Back. I didn't have all this then. I was just fresh out of school then. Pack. So I just packed and who was the car? I'm like, Oga, okay. it's a bank car. We just bought it. So why are you driving? I said, I just bought the car. It's a bank car. I'm taking it to the office. My friend, come down. Ah. Okay, see the papers now. My friend, calm down. Reluctantly, I came out of the car. The next thing, one of the police officers, you, come down. Enter our car. Enter, higher. move, station. Ah. Story don't change you. I'm looking at the guys like, what did we do? This, my friend, station. Well, we moved. I drove behind them and we got to the station. And as we got to the station, bros, they just changed them for us. I was like, we shut up. Were you not the one that slapped me? 
I'm looking at someone I didn't say anything to that has slapped him. I was looking at the man like, okay, you're older than my father. Shut up! And that was how we found ourselves behind the counter. From behind the counter, we are inside the cell. For doing nothing, you know. And as they were pushing us to the cell, I told my friend, guy, see here, I fight too. As you enter there, if you do, they will take you. Me, and they fight the first person. He was looking at me, and this time, they are taking off. we are taking off our suits, our ties. We are just left with boxers. Serious. And as soon as they pushed us into the cell, the first guy came, and he was like, hey, you, who are you? The punch I give to the guy. Because that was the only way I knew. You know, I just, I just felt like, you need to assert yourself here first, otherwise you're taking. So I just punched the guy, and he, someone that has been there for like two weeks, he's not properly fed, so the punch really dazed him. And then the mass of the people that descended on us. <laughs> and the commotion got back to the policemen. So they had to come back to, what was the problem, blah, 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 blah. blah. So at, at this time, though, you know, why we were, leaving uh, this, the station, our driver didn't stop. But he just drove past and was watching what was happening. So when they took us to the station, he had already rushed to the office to inform them in the office. But by the time my manager and people would come to, we had already tested a bit of beating. and <laughs> So we now came out and they, had, they settled the matter and all that. And But I, from that very day, I have this... Um, very each time I see a policeman try to stop my car, I'm already angry. I'm worked up. If you're driving with me and we see a policeman, you just notice that my face just literally goes like something because it was so strange. It was the first time I was having that. I just this man was older than my dad and he was lying like you know. So, but this is Nigeria, um, like Far said, and um, it taught me a lot. It made me grow up fast because that experience was um, it was it was a serious eye opener, and so from that very day I learned how to um, avoid the police and allow them. My name is Felicia. J of course, I'm on a journey. Um, good to see you again. I'm on the journey, 5,000 some miles away. Um, we had a competition at our school last year before I came here, and we won. And so we had an opportunity to go to Lagos to collect the prize. So of course I was excited. It was my first time going to Lagos. Um, I think I'm here because I read Half of the Yellow Sun several years ago, and I'm like, I got to go to that place. So we're on our way to Lagos, and um, a young lady was accompanying me, and she had a, a baby, one of the teachers who had done all the work for the project. So she was on this um, flight with me. We went to the airport. We were on our way to Lagos, and of course, we were flying Eric. So our flight was <laughs> delayed several times. So my excitement for going to Lagos was kind of dampered by the, the, you know, the fact that we were late. Our flight didn't get into very late. And I had booked um, an Airbnb, and so I told her, because her parents were supposed to come pick her up, and it was going to be like an hour drive, so I said, well, you can stay with me, because I have an Airbnb. 
And of course, I was like, you can have the bed because she had the baby, and so you can take the room and I'll take the couch. But when we got to Legos, false advertisement, the Airbnb was actually just a room at um, someone's apartment with four other you know, places. And I said, well, this is not what I always do, entire place, why am I getting a room? He said, oh, it's a mistake. So I found myself in the bedroom with um, this young lady and her baby. Now, my children are 18 and 22 years old, so I haven't been in a room with a baby at night who was still nursing and crying and was still in diapers for a very, very long time. So I said, well, you all, can, we can share the bed. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is gonna be a long night. So anyway, the little baby was very, very nice. She didn't cry and all that, those things. But as we were getting ready, preparing for bed, we were talking and I'm a, you know, I feel like I'm an older lady. I can give her some advice. And so we're talking and I'm trying to encourage her to continue to go to school. And you know, as black women, we have to do this. And as black women, we have to do that. And you know, it's really, you know, you really need to make sure that you continue your schooling. And so she says to me, do you consider yourself black? So I'm sitting there in this moment, and it, the question itself didn't shock me because I'm from Mississippi. I'm from Mississippi, and you probably have read the books and seen the movies. I'm from Mississippi, the Deep South, and I grew up in Mississippi in the 70s, very shortly after the 60s. And so much of the things that were going on in the 70s in Mississippi was very much like the things that were going on in the 60s in Mississippi. So having that question of, um, do you consider yourself black? It kind of shocked me because I was always defending myself about not being white all my life. My cousins tormented me with the whole idea that, oh, your daddy's black. I mean, your daddy's white now. I, and I would always have to find someone who was DK's color and say, my daddy's his color. My grandmother's her color. I would always find myself in that opportunity to let everybody know I'm black. I am black. I'm black. But sometimes this hair thing just throws us off as black people in the United States because the hair is that one element that tells people somebody in your family is white somewhere down the line and so I grew up with this whole defense mechanism when someone would say oh you have good hair I said my hair is not good it's not good because I was always defending this white blood that was flowing somewhere in me and so my cousins would torment me and say, your daddy dropped, your real daddy dropped you off and ran away and left you with your mama. They did this all the time. My cousins, my, my friends, I would be out there, my cousins were fighters. We always had these fights in the neighborhood. And someone would say to me, you think you all that? Cause you're all. And I would say, I really don't because I really don't like the fact that I have this hair and I have this color. I really don't. So I would have this whole defense mechanism going on. And so again, I grew up in the South, and so my grandmother was a domestic. She was a housekeeper, and she, I didn't like them. I just didn't like white women. They were mean, and I went to, to Catholic school, and all the nuns were white, and they were mean, and they were mean white women. So I grew up not liking white women at all, and I'm getting over it. I'm getting better. <laughs> but, and there were white men who my grandfather worked for, and they were mean white men. They were very mean. They were just mean. And we had a sheriff in our city named Billy Noble. And Billy Noble was, Billy Noble's name right now, you know, brings up fear in me because he was like the boogeyman. Your parents would say to you, if you keep being bad, we're gonna tell Billy Noble because Billy Noble was known for arresting black men, taking them to jail, and the next day you would find out, oh, your son died in the jail, he hung himself. Your son died, he tried to run away, we had to shoot him. This is the life I grew up in, in the South. 
And it was, it's a true, this is all true. This is a true story. And I would walk into a doctor's office, and it was in 1970, so all the stories you heard about the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, I'm telling you about the 70s. We would walk into a doctor's office, and there was a room to this side, and there was a room to this side, and all of us would be sitting like you all are sitting right now <laughs> in, a in a doctor's office. And all the white people would go to that side, and it was nice and cool, and I would peep in there, and it would just be white people in it. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on? So we would have to sneak and go to a doctor who was a black doctor so we could get the kind of medical care that we need. But anyway, I digress. So we're sitting in the room and uh, my daughter was born and I, this hair thing just always like plagued me. And so when my daughter was being born, I didn't know it was gonna be a girl, I knew I was having, I kind of dreamed it was gonna be a little, and I prayed, please don't let her have this hair, please don't let her have this hair. So as my, <laughs> as my daughter was being born, all these nice white nurses were standing around, they were nice. And they said, oh, my God, look at her hair. Look at her hair. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please don't. No, I don't want her to have this hair because that was always my torture point with my cousins. You think you all that because your hair like that. You think you all that. And my mother would do these things like she would put water on it so it would curl up and it would be long. And so when I was 18 in college, I shaved it off. I shaved off my hair. And I went home with my grandmother, who was very dark, she would say, she cried. She said, why did you cut off your hair? Why did you? It's because I wanted to release and just get rid of everything in me that identified me with being this person who always would question me. Are you really black? Are you really black? So we're sitting in that room, and she said to me, do you consider yourself black? So it was a totally different question from, are you really black? And so I was thinking, like, what have I done to make her think that I don't consider myself black? I am the Angela Davis of my city. <laughs> Is she crazy? I was wearing dashikis in Mississippi. So what makes her think that I am not black? What have I done? So I started to think, like, what have I done to make her think that I don't think that I'm black? And she said, I just didn't think you thought you were black. I said, but what have I done? I go to Wusay Market. I shop. <laughs> I shop there, everybody knows me, they know, I, I mean, I literally had my own wheelbarrow board. When I called him, I was like, I'm on my way, you're gonna meet me at the front gate. He's like, yes, I'll be there. <laughs> I, I said, what, what is it about me that makes you think that I'm the, she said, well, you came to Africa. Most of the people who come to Africa, the white people who come here, they, 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 they're working to do something and have a mission, and honestly, I couldn't understand her till I found out that there are white people who come here and black people who come here at this rate of thinking that they can save you all from something, that they can save you all from whatever has happened over the years. And I'm like, I'm just here because I read a book and I thought it would be really cool to work in Africa. I said, I had no idea that it was like this. And I hear stories from teachers who are teaching in these schools and they're like, well, we have to teach them the American curriculum. And I'm thinking like, why? Why are we teaching Africans <laughs> American curriculum in African schools? And so I said to her, I said, I am black. I said, I'm, I, I consider myself black. And I said, I am the type of blackness that you know, happens when you have coffee and then they put all these tormented artificial flavors in it and turn it to cream. I am that type of black person. <laughs> And so she was like, well, I just, you know, I just wondered because there's this journey that we are all on that questions us and makes us think because of this skin and this hair that we are not black. And I'm had to tell her all the time, I am black. So that is my journey to this place. And I'm so happy to be here among all of you other black folks. <laughs> 
and I hope that this journey continues for me in this wonderful place of Abuja. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Storyteller Series Nigeria. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends. For more information on the series and to check dates for our next live event, please follow us at ABJ Storyteller, that's one word, on Instagram, Twitter, and like our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at thestorytellerng.org. If you would like to tell a story at our next live event or submit a story to the podcast, please email info at thestorytellerng.org. Have a great day.